So this week and next week, the idea of what is biblical manhood, what is biblical womanhood, I'm really excited to look at that with you. I'm not sure what the expectation is, if you even knew we were talking about that. Um, I think some of you did and some of you didn't. I just want you to know, as I was studying for this, I had, I had conviction. I think I started studying this with maybe some pride. And then as I began studying deeper, there was great conviction because I realized, man, I don't know any guy that doesn't have room to grow in their pursuit of who God has made them when he made them men. And, uh, and we will resolve, just like the song we just sang, 2 Corinthians 1.20, our yes and amen. All of our yeses and amens are found in him, in Jesus. So tonight, we will resolve looking at the perfect man, the only one who ever lived a perfect life, who gives us that perfect picture of manhood, and that is Christ. However, just because Jesus was the only perfect man, it does not give us permission to willfully and intentionally fall short. He has shown us the bar, and the bar is perfection in being like the Lord himself. And so we're going to see what that bar is, and we undoubtedly, every man in this room will undoubtedly fall short. My hope is that you will feel the comfort of the Lord, the forgiveness of the Lord, the calling of the Lord, the encouragement of the Lord, and the rebuke of the Lord where you need to hear that. And ladies, my hope for you is that your ears are wide open and that you are listening and you are taking notes and you are thinking, am I dating that guy right now? That guy that I just went out with, is he that guy? Uh, or have I not met him yet? And my hope is that some of these fellows I'll just go ahead and say one line that I didn't want to say. Some of these fellows will get off of their derrieres and they will ask you out before you settle for someone who will never or may never measure up to a biblical man because at least he asked you out and he was nice. And so my hope is that you will be encouraged and yet you'll have ears to hear. So let's go ahead and open up to where we're going to start and really where we're going to kind of camp out most of the evening, and that is in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 16, the last chapter, it's really kind of in the last few verses of that chapter. Um, I was asked earlier, hey, do you think people are going to think that you're like Mark Driscoll by putting up that, uh, if you don't know who that is, that's probably fine, um, but by, by putting up that picture of saying, act like men, and I said, no, it's actually a Bible verse. Uh, and so, this is not just some in-your-face line of act like men, grow up. This is actually a Bible verse. And Jordan Coughlin and I were talking earlier. He said he remembers the first time he ever read that verse. And he was like, oh, this is talking to me. I was on a camping trip when I was, I was with some, uh, some Georgia dogs. Me and some fellows were out camping one night. And we read a bunch of scripture together. And we read this verse. And there was like an audible silence when we got to this verse because we thought, I've never heard that before. And then we reread it. We were like, is that really what the Bible says? So let's take a look. Uh, and just so you can get the last bit of your leg workout in for the day, will you stand as we read these two short verses? 
1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. Father, I ask that tonight, this message, the remaining worship, is all done in love. And I ask that you would help me to act like a man as I deliver your word and ask that you would speak through me and ask that you would help the men in the room to feel a call by you to let go of childish things and to act like men. And ask that you would help the women in the room to hold on to hope that you do have someone who loves you, who's going to act like a man for them. Lord, raise us all to your standard. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Let's jump right in. Let's take a look at this verse 13. There's a few key points. Watchful. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. And then he rounds it all out by saying, let all that you do be done in love. Now, you should be familiar with 1 Corinthians uh, 13, even if you didn't know you were. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And in the, in the love chapter, he says, if you have all faith, if you have all knowledge, if you, have, uh, all, if you give your body away to be burned for the Lord, but if you do not have love, you have nothing there's the famous line to the church in Revelation where God says, you've stood your ground, you've done all these things, but you lost your first love, and this I have against you. There's something to the Christian life that falls apart when the, the hub of all the Christian things, all the spokes, is pulled out, and that hub is love. When we take the love of God away, Everything else falls apart. So that's why you can have different perversions of manhood, even within the Christian church, someone who's watchful, who's firm in the faith, who acts like a man, who is strong and yet not loving. You look and you say, there's something about that guy that I like, but there's something not quite right too. And so we have to see the end of the passage before we can see the rest of it. So this whole thing is encased in a love. And just so you know, in 1 John, we're told that love comes from God. And so no one can love unless they have been born of God and know God. And, and the analogy that I used a few months ago when we talked about that idea was the moon and the sun. No matter how hard the moon tries, it cannot, re, it cannot just generate light and shine it on the earth. The only way the moon gives light to the earth is if it reflects the sun. The only way we can love is if we're in the Father through the Son and reflect his love. And so we have to be first deeply rooted in the Lord, saved, born again, bought with a price through the precious blood blood of Jesus. And so once all of that happens and we are born again, we begin to know love. And so the more we walk with him, the more we can live out love. And so this idea is true. If we are doing this in love, we can be watchful men. We can stand firm in the faith and we can act like men and be strong. So watchful, the word watchful, it means to give strict attention. Fellas, 
part of biblical manhood is you are giving strict attention to the things of God. Now, I know the Braves are playing. I think it's like the sixth inning right now as we, as we preach. And, uh, and you will have a hard time, some of you, not like looking through. And I get it. I totally get it. God's not going to strike you down. And it's not a sin if you like look every once in a while and you're like, what's the score now? I just appreciate you're here. Uh, and so I get it. But there is something about how easily our attention is divided Our attention always needs to be more on the Lord than on anything else. Men, especially, this is true of. Why? Because God has designed you, and we're going to see this as we go through, to be the person who is the pulse. You're the spiritual leadership is what God has called you. And so, we are to be watchful. We give strict attention to the things of God. We are to stand firm in the faith. The Greek word stand firm literally means, think about when you went to the beach. The last time you went to the beach, maybe some of you got to do a fall beach trip. Those are the best. Maybe you get to do the fall beach trip where it was still warm, but not like too warm. Uh, and so, you know, the, you know the thing that you put in the ground to hold your umbrella? How you just like, you're like, no, it's going in. And like, they've made it where it's got handles on it now and it's a big corkscrew and it goes in, you put your umbrella in. Like, that's the idea of stand firm. You, through the power of God, willfully, fellas, say, no, 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 my faith is not going to waver. Why? Because the one I, am, I have faith in does not waver. And so it is not a feeling. It is a willful drive it into the ground. My faith is going nowhere. So we are watchful. We stand firm. We drive that into the ground. And then this is very interesting. This last part is one word. And I'm reading from the ESV. I believe the New American Standard has this. The, the NIV, the New International Version, the most recent version totally leaves this out. So if you have that version, you will not see this. In the Greek, the last part of this verse, act like men and be strong is one word. The word is in the masculine form. And in Greek, that's very important. Some of you know that from taking Spanish and other languages. There's a masculine and a feminine. It is in the masculine form. Uh, like, you, there's no way you can know Greek and get around the fact that, like, this is in the masculine form. So it's one word in the masculine form. And the idea behind the word is you take a boy and you say, you're no longer a boy. Now you're a man. Be brave. The idea behind this word is a little kid instantly coming into manhood and saying, and now it's my job to be brave. Now that's instant responsibility, instant ownership. It's instant call to action. And so a biblical man is to be watchful, to give strict attention to the things of God, to drive their faith into the ground so that it is unmovable, and to be released by God's permission from being a boy to being a brave man. And he is all encased and motivated by the love of his Savior. So God has done this, and it is good but it is woefully absent in the church. 
You go all the way back to Genesis 1, and you see that God created the sexes for a reason. He created a male and a female. And I know that that is uh, it's controversial today. I get that. It's controversial in classrooms. It's controversial all over the place. But he created the sexes for a reason. Both sexes, the male and the female, exemplify parts of God's character. Ladies, next week when we talk about biblical womanhood, I'll have Heather up here with me because she's a woman. Um, like we'll have, we'll, we'll talk about biblical womanhood and you'll see next week there are parts of God's character that only you can exhibit. And men, there are parts of God's character that you are called to put on display for the world. That's why it's so important that we keep the whole Bible together. There is this idea of men and women in the Bible, and that's where God left it. And why? It wasn't to cause dissension. It wasn't to pull people apart. It wasn't to cause political battles and voting wars and all those kinds of things. None of, that is all man-made and contrived. The idea that God created man and woman and left it at that was so that he could say, I want to put my character on display in the men in this way and in the women in this way. And so the idea that, that I have kind of gotten my head around, and I think many of you may have your head around this too, it's, it's these two worlds of complementarianism and egalitarians. And so in the church today, this is kind of the two categories that we've divided ourselves into. This idea of we are either complementarians or we are egalitarians. Now, an egalitarian would say, yes, I believe God made man and woman, and they're both completely equal. Anything I can do, you can do better. Now, if you left it at that, I would say, yeah, I think in God's economy, men and women are completely equal. But what happens in the church world is that we have said, and so we give women church leadership and church authority and those kinds of things. And what the Bible teaches is actually very contrary to that. You look at 1 Timothy, you look at Titus, you look at other places, and what you see is not a greater and lesser what you see is, no, God has designed the sexes to display his character in different ways, even in the church. And part of the reason there has been a big fraction with this is because the men have not stepped up to properly show God's character and nature in the church, and so it has created great division. And some of you ladies, rightfully so, have said, I'm fine following a guy if he's going to be the pastor, but show me a good one. Show me a godly one. Show me one who treats his wife and his family and his kids and other people correctly. But the, I, the biblical idea is this idea of complementarianism. Men and women complement one another and that when you see them together, if they are Christ followers, they should both together individually represent the feminine sides of God and the masculine sides of God. And in church leadership, they complement one another, but the men are called to overall shepherd and lead God's church. Now, I can tell you, like, behind the curtain, there's a lot of influence that Heather, I'm pointing over here because she's over here. There's a lot of influence that Heather has over you and over this ministry. Why? Because I listen to her. She's my helper. It's not unlike how the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Lord speaks to me through her. But at the end of the day, 
The burden of decision should rest upon my shoulders as the male leader, and I bear the consequences for those decisions. It's biblical leadership, but even that is contested today. Now, I'm going to just tell you the rest of what you're going to hear comes from a complementarian view. It's going to come from the idea that God has created men and he has created women and he's created them both beautiful, both equal, but both different. And the differences are to display his character, not to create divisions and political sides and all kinds of other stuff. We've done that. So what parts of God's character are seen in a man? What is a godly, manly man? Let me show you just a few that I've come up with, and then I'm going to talk through this list for a second. So this won't stay up here forever. If you want this, you can just take a picture or write it down. The, some of the, the, manly, the manly things that I see in the Bible that represent a godly man and God's character are bravery. And by the way, you're like, women can be brave. Totally true. This is what I see a lot of the call of men to be in the Bible, though, all the time. Men are to be brave. They are to have a servanthood about them. They are to be trustworthy. They are to be controlled with their temper. There should be a kindness about a godly man. There should be wisdom. They should be a defender of the weak. They should be the ones who provide the spiritual leadership and... They should be, the Bible calls, the provider of the family. Now, some of that might sound, especially the last one, it might sound like a little antiquated, and that's okay. The Bible's an old book. That was a joke. All right, there we go. So let's talk about it. The bravery idea in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, we see the idea of, you know, Act like men, be strong, be brave. That idea of strong and brave are synonymous in the Bible. Also, you go to the Old Testament and you see so many examples of bravery. 2 Samuel 23 verse 8 is a great example. You got David listing his mighty men. And in his mighty men, the first one that is listed killed 800 men. Now, I don't know how you do that without like mechanized weapons. This guy was like just not afraid. And so I think that it's a beautiful thing when you see a guy who is brave, not a guy who's reckless, not a guy who is stupid, but a guy who is brave. My favorite definition of bravery comes from the great theologian John Wayne, and he said that courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. I think we need a few more men to be brave, a few more men that are like, I don't really want to have to have that confrontation or do that thing or take responsibility for that, but I will. We don't need guys that hide behind the ladies. We need guys that are willing to say, I'll take one on the chin if that's what I need to do. Servanthood. Ephesians 5 is probably my favorite reference to the servanthood of a man, and that is the marriage chapter, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. I'll just tell you just a, a, a little snippet of it, but it says that the husband should love his wife like Christ loved the church, and how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. 
There should be something about a man that is not afraid to say, I'll take second place, I'll take third, I'll take fourth. You don't even have to know I was there. I just want to play my role so that the king is happy with me and I've fulfilled my responsibility to him. True biblical manhood, there's a servanthood to it. I think honesty and trustworthiness is a powerful thing that men should be should be known for. I mean, it used to be like you could shake your hand and that was a legal agreement. In some states still today, the spoken word is a binding agreement. And the reason the spoken word is a binding agreement is not because we're so good at keeping our word, but because a long time ago when those laws were written, people actually kept their word. My, my word is my bond. Wouldn't it be great if fellas... We said it and we did it and no one ever wondered because we were so consistent in our honesty and our reliability. Another one, kindness. Well, well control of temper. Proverbs 16.32, it's my favorite verse about temper. Proverbs 16.32 says, it is he who is, it is better, I'm sorry, better is he who controls his temper than one who overtakes a city. I always thought it would be better to do both. Like, I kept my temper and I took the city. Like, that seems like a great plan. But if you can't do both, be the guy who can control his temper. Do you know what? I heard a long time ago when I was a kid, I heard this guy teaching. He said he thought the number one sin of men, and I was like, here he goes. He's going to say lust. That's what they all say. I was like 13. I was just learning what that was. I was like, I don't know what it is really, but here we go. And he said anger. And I was like, anger. He said, I think that is the number one sin of men. People like, they kind of respect a powerful man. They kind of respect a guy who like takes charge. But nobody really loves an angry man. And a lot of those folks that we kind of admire from a distance because they, they did a bunch of stuff, achieved a bunch of stuff, whatever else. If you ask the people that are real close to them, what are they like? So often, anger will be one of the first things that comes out. Our anger ought to be reserved for the moments that the things of God are being tampered with. Think about Jesus. Twice he overturned the temple, and he was mad because the things of God were being tampered with. Not because his schedule was getting messed up, not because he had little inconveniences, but because the things of God were being tampered with. Wisdom. This is one I would say to you that's very interesting to me. Wisdom is the opposite of seeking knowledge. Now, we have a bunch of like nolologians around here. Like you've read like all the books and you know like a lot of dead people. And that's great. I appreciate that. Some of you have read more books and know more dead people than I do. And I've got a master's degree and like I, in, in like the things of God. And, and so you should have just paid for that and like got a certificate. But like that's incredible. It's not the same as wisdom. Knowledge on its own puffs up. Knowledge, when put into godly action, is wisdom. Men, we ought to be people who are putting our knowledge into action for the Lord, and that is wisdom. So many times you see in the Bible this idea that godly men are protectors of the weak. Micah 6, 8 is one great verse for that. I've shown you, O man, what is good. 
What is good is to act justly. It's the first thing listed. Godly men strive after justice. Who's the one who needs justice? It's the oppressed. Take your fighting energy, men, and put it into helping the people that can't help themselves. Some of you heard this story. My dad, when I was like going to, I, ch I changed schools from a private school to a public school in middle school. That was a bad experience. Never, never take your private school kid and put him on the public school bus and expect it to work out fine. And so I, uh, I learned a lot of words right off the bat and things that I didn't know existed. Um, and it was kind of a downward spiral for a few years. But I, uh, I, I, my dad used to tell me on the way to school, he would say, when I was getting ready to go, he would say, Thomas, you be a friend of the friendless. And I was like, no sweat, that's me. And so, like, I was like, high five myself. And, uh, and, and it was like a, it was that, which is totally true. I, I thought that literal thing when I would leave the house every day. I just didn't have the heart to tell him, your son's lonely. <laughs> um, but anyway, a guy named Dave Thomas, like the Wendy's founder, who was a senior in high school and I was a freshman, invited me to hang out with his buddies. And they all had the jackets with the letters and all the different sports and all the things. And I was like, I don't know. I, I kept thinking they were going to prank me. I was like, I don't know why they're doing this. But they just said, we're going to invite the little guy into our club. Look, that is what a godly man does with the leverage God has given him to life. He looks out for the little guy. We keep going. They're spiritual leaders, not spiritual lords. A spiritual leader is one like Christ who laid his life down for the people he loved and led. They're not rulers and dictators. They're servant leaders. They're the first ones in and the last ones out. And lastly, on this list, they're providers. You say, Thomas, show me where that is in the Bible. Well, several New Testament places talk about the women taking care of things in the home. And you could say, well, Thomas, that's because jobs weren't really given to a lot of women. That's totally true. And I'll, I'll agree with you on that. But what happens if the guy is not at least trying to be a provider for the family? I don't care if you marry somebody or if you're married to somebody who she makes like 10 times more than you. In fact, Congrats. Uh, that was awesome. But, like, that's totally fine. Totally fine. Um, I don't care if you married into a bunch of money. That's awesome. Um, and some of you ladies have jobs and do things that, like, I could never do. I'm just amazed. When you start to tell me what you do, I'm like, all right, that's really impressive. I don't even know how to spell that title um, or the software you work with or any of those things. But what you want, and ladies, I'll talk to you on this, what you want is a guy who is desirous to get up in the morning and put his clothes on and go work hard for the sake of, I want to be the one who you can count on to love this family and try to take care of it. The opposite of this would be a lazy man. And that is not what you want. So, 
You know what though? I'll just say, we have a lot of guys in here who work really well and a lot of ladies in here who work really well. Like, I'm not saying you got work all figured out. Don't go taking it easy on me. But like a lot of you really do work well, like you, the men and the women. I'm really, I'm proud of you for that. I'm proud of you for a lot of things. Uh, <clears throat> so let's ask, how does, this, how does this play out in our relationships? And some of this I just talked about, but uh, I think the bravery part, we want the guys to be courageous, even if they're scared. We want guys who are servants to be seeking to be useful and not known. We want guys to do what they say they're going to do. We want people to be honest so they're not having to be second guessed. My word is my bond. We want people who have controlled tempers, uh, which means they're full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so they can possess, so they can process news that would otherwise make them mad with wisdom. Uh, we want people who are kind. We want them to value other people more than themselves. We want folks who are striving for justice. We want guys that are, uh, are godly protectors and spiritual leaders that really know the word of God well. Fellas, I would tell you this, every godly man that I've ever known has spent many, many, many mornings of their life before everybody else got up with the one who gave them the breath to get up that morning. Girls, if you're interested in a guy and you hear about a super sporadic quiet time, that to me would be a giant red flag. You want a guy that by like 3 p.m. is yawning because he was up early and he was spending time with the Lord. You want a guy who loves God more than he loves you. I, I think all of this to me makes a lot of sense because I've read the Bible a bunch and I see it played out and I've had some godly men in my life, but in the world today, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And biblical manhood is under attack. Manhood in general is under attack. In fact, and this, this will be shocking to some of you, some of you, um, this will be a little bit, uh, this may be confrontational, but maybe you've seen this image recently. The New York Times did a cover on this. Uh, most everybody out there has done a cover on this. I think it came out yesterday. But the new Superman, which is Superman's son, comes out. DC Comics has a new Superman coming out, and he came out. And so this new Superman has a friend who gets introduced to Lois Lane, his mom. And, uh, and so now we have a Superman who is gay. And you say, well, Thomas, that's like, where are you going with all this? Here's what happens. The ideal way for Satan to attack biblical manhood is to feminize manhood, to pacify it, or machismo it. And none of those are biblical manhood. Homosexuality, bisexuality, pan, etc., it's all a confusion of what God has done originally by making a person a man and a person a woman. And if you are the enemy, what is the best thing you can do? Put doubt in being a man. Put doubt in being a woman. Confuse it. Mix it up. Make people fight about it. What are you doing at that point? You are gender despising versus gender accepting. 
And God has made you a gender. And the role of the biblical man is to embrace the beauty that God has made me male, which is to reflect his nature of being provider, protector, servant, leader. Look, effeminate manhood is a rejection of the God-given role of man in the pursuit of a female role. If you're more passive in your manhood, it's a fear to take Christ-like servant leadership. And those machismo men, the guys that are like the manly men, the guys that you're like that never have a shirt on, they don't even own shirts. Like if you're that guy and you look in the mirror like as much as you breathe, and you're like, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. Wait, we're awesome. Like, if you're that guy, that's machismo guy. And every guy's done that a little bit. But, like, I'm telling you, every guy has done that, like, at least once or twice or a hundred times in their life. And the girls are like, him? Yes, all of us. And so, look, <clears throat> this idea of machismo is also a perversion because now you're becoming the boss of everybody and you've lost the servant leadership. You want to have power and control and lord it over people. And it's appealing, by the way. Almost every romance movie out there has a guy like that who everybody else that's watching the movie and everyone in the movie is like, you know he's a bad guy. And she's like, no, he's not. And he's like the machismo guy. And the good guy's like, what about me? And the Machimo's guy's like, ah. You know, he's like, oh, no. And so then they, you know, that's like, this, uh, sorry, it's the plot of like every rom-com. Um, and so we don't, all those are perversions of the guy that God has made us to be to best represent his character. I was talking with a guy, I'm doing this six o'clock call every morning this week with John Posey. He's our new, uh, one of our, our latest hires at Christ Covenant. He does our faith and work ministry. John's a great guy. I think a couple of you had lunch with him. I think Rhett just had lunch with him. Um, I think you just had, yeah, you did. Um, he, John's a great guy, but he's got this group of men that get on this call every morning at 6.20. He told me, I agreed to do it before he told me the time, but 6.20 in the morning, these men are all on the call. And, uh, and yesterday after the call, I was a little bit tired and this guy calls me and he talks to me for 40 minutes and I'm like, bro, I am not really with it just yet. But like he's going and I thought, I think the Lord has a purpose in this call and he did. His name's Arthur and Arthur said, I said, Arthur, tell me about your dad. And he said, Arthur's an older man. He said, I'll tell you about my dad. There's six things I'll tell you about my dad. And I was like, where are we going with this? He has this written down. And, uh, and I tested him on it, by the way. He said, my dad was faithful, accountable, trustworthy, honest, enthusiastic, resourceful. And I was like, what was he again? And he said it again. He said, my dad was faithful, accountable, trustworthy, honest, enthusiastic, and resourceful. And I was like, maybe that was seven, whatever. Anyway, he said him twice. And he said, my dad was faithful. He was not a cheating man. My dad was accountable. He had people he answered to. My dad was trustworthy. If he said it, he was going to do it, which made him honest. My dad was enthusiastic. And he said, to be enthusiastic, I must act enthusiastic. And by this point, I was like, I love your dad. And he said, my dad was also resourceful. He told us, it wasn't just hoping and wishing. It was get on up and get busy. Champions aren't built sitting on the couch. And I was like, all right, Arthur, I like your dad. All those are incredible traits of the godly man. That's not the guy playing video games. That's not the guy looking at porn. That's not the guy confusing his, his gender that God gave him. That's the guy that's like, I know the Lord and I'm trying to be the part of God that God has made me to be. 
But I totally get if it's confusing for you because most of us have not had a dad like Arthur had. So how does this play out for you men in things like the workplace? You have a woman as a boss? You better be her best employee. You better show her what a Christian man is supposed to be. And you better not make jokes about my woman, my, my boss is a woman or uh, blah, 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 because guys do that stuff. Don't be that guy. You have a man as a boss? Don't be a brown noser. You be a servant leader. You work to please the Lord and not man. You, 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 what about in the church? How does this play out? In the church, I think all of you men in here should be striving to be a deacon and an elder if you are born again. And some of you are deacons, and I'm proud of you. I think everybody in here should strive for the office of servant leadership. Don't leave it to the other people. Think about it. What if every time you came here, you were like, man, part of me would really like to like really be involved, like really have a place here. Serve on Tuesdays, serve on Sundays, serve on a team, and strive to say, how can I serve even more? Maybe I could be a deacon. Maybe one day I could be an elder. Now, don't lobby and campaign, because then we will not let you be a deacon or an elder. But, and then I think in the places you recreate. Now, all, to all my workout bros, all right? All right, what, what are you doing with those muscles? Like, what's the point of going to the gym all the time? All my stock market playing friends, what are you going to do with all that money? All of these talents and passions and things God has given you, they are for your opportunity to represent the character of God in the world. How does this play out with the Christ Covenant young adult dating scene? Well, fellas, I think you need to pursue the Lord first. I think you need to date with friendship in mind. I think you need to think that girl sitting next to you is someone's, someone else's wife unless you have married her. What if the next time you went on a date, you told yourself before you went, you know you're going out with somebody else's future wife. I bet you'd act a little different. I bet you'd behave yourself. I bet your thoughts would be different because you don't want some fellow thinking thoughts about your wife like you've thought about other women. And now all of a sudden, you're helping elevate her to be able to show the characters of God that God has made, the character of God that God has made in her. I want you to also, this is, okay, this is a freebie. This is for you ladies. I, fellas, I want you to remember that she has a brain also, all right? And with that brain comes a choice. Can I tell you, all right, fellas, I'm gonna sell you down the river here. I've had more than one guy come to me and say, I'm afraid to ask her out because like, what if we go out and like, uh, I'm just not that into her. And I, I heard this once or twice and I was like, is this really a thing? Because, I, and finally I told one of the guys, I was like, you know, she could decide that too. And the guy was like, I've never thought of that. So, fellas, just know, like, 
in our system, we don't have a lot of arranged marriages happening. She might actually decide like, mm, I'm not that into him. And that's okay. Why? Because you started the foundation loving God more than you love her or anybody else. You started the foundation like maybe we could be friends and just friends, friends in Christ. And then you, were, you had the idea of this is probably somebody else's wife. And then when she said, I'm not that into you, you were like, that's okay. You're somebody else's wife. And like it all worked out fine. Like, but when we start the process backwards and here's backwards, I've swiped left or right on about 3,000 people. I'm talking to you fellas. I've scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and I've watched and watched and watched women doing stuff that God never intended them to do with those people on that camera. And then I finally figure out, oh, that's the girl that I'll fantasize about tonight. So I'll give her a name and a personality and a sex drive that's all about me. But I'll have no relational connection with her, no accountability, no conversation. She's just going to become my little puppet in my mind so that I can have some sort of satisfaction. And then when I'm done with her, I'll scroll through and find somebody else. And then when I go out with a real person which most of you don't because you're scared because those women on the computer don't reject you. It's no wonder you walk into this room and you see all these girls and you can't make your mind up because it took you 300 images on your phone or computer to make your mind up yesterday about some girl you were going to fantasize about. There's no way you're going to be able to make your mind up in here. So you just gawk and think, wow, maybe next week another one will come that I'll like more than the ones I like this week. And then you leave. And the girls in the room think, why don't the guys ask me out? That's what's going on. And that is not the heart of God, and that is not the character of God. You have demoted, you've, you've demoted these women into being a thing. And remember, godly men are protectors. And to be a protector, you have to have a person to protect. And to have a person, they have to have a heart and a brain and a personality. And so the only way you can ever be a protector is if you stop seeing a lady as a thing and as a person, a creation of God with a heart and a mind and feelings. And by the way, every once in a while, when you talk to somebody you weren't necessarily initially super attracted to, you might just find yourself wildly captivated by that great girl and you were like, whoa, I'm really glad we had a conversation. And fellas, I think this also plays out with you being brave. You should ask a girl out. Be honest. Tell her what's going on. Don't ghost her. You're not in second grade anymore. Be kind. Treat her like she's on loan from God. Ask questions about her, not just telling her about you. She has things to say. Be a protector, but don't emotionally defraud her. Be wise. Don't date longer than you should, and don't say things that lead her on. Be a spiritual leader. Pray for the meal. Ask about God's work in her life. Don't do physically married things with her. Be a provider. Pay for the date. Thank you, Lord. Be, look, be the moon. When you're with the boys, may Jesus be reflected in your life and they see it. And when you're with the ladies, may Jesus be reflected off your life and may they see it. 
Guys, let me read you a definition. You see, the opposite of all these things are something like superficial charm, high intelligence, poor judgment, failure to learn from experience, pathological egocentricity, incapacity for love, a lack of remorse or shame, impulsivity, grandiose sense of self-worth, pathological lying, manipulative behavior, poor self-control, and promiscuous sexual behavior. These are all characteristics that I have seen in men after, in man after man in the church. None of this is biblical manhood. Do you know what this definition is? It's the definition of a psychopath. That's the clinical definition of a psychopath. Fellas, we aspire to not be what the world is. We aspire to be a character, representation of the Lord. Guys, I see you flirt at the end of Tuesday nights. It's fun to watch. But don't let flirting be your native language. Let it be your like final tool to seal the deal and ask the person out. Because if you just flirt with everybody and never do anything with it, you might as well just like spray paint your name on the bathroom wall as a terrible person. Because word gets out like, you know what, he flirts with everybody. These are your sisters in Christ. These are someone else's wife, but maybe someone in here is your wife. Biblical manhood calls us to be the ones who love and protect and watch out for our sisters in Christ, not defraud them and hurt them. And so we go back to this idea that God created the sexes for a reason. Both sexes, male and female, exemplify parts of God's character. And men, we are to be watchful. We are to stand firm in the faith. We are to act like men and be brave, be strong, and let all that we do be done in love. Fellas, part of that acting like men and being strong is trying and failing and trying again. Stop with the computer stuff. Stop with the girls online. And if it fails, stop again tomorrow. And if it fails, stop again tomorrow and get accountability because we are not that guy. Guys, ask a real girl out. And girls, tell them no if you don't want to go out. Totally fine. They need some failure. Like, they need some risk and reward. And then try again, fellas. Not maybe the same girl, though. Like, try again. Like, try, try like again with someone else. Don't be that guy either. Um, like, because then I'll get told about you and, like, oh, we'll have to, like, have coffee. If we have coffee, sometimes it's bad. A meal's great. But, like, we'll have coffee. Um, like, well, I don't want that. It's, uh, but, guys, 
Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And remember, our yes and amen is found in Christ. Girls, give the guys a little grace. And guys, give yourself a little grace because our model is the perfect one. And Psalm 15 describes Jesus. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who will dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Every man in the room should aspire to walk blamelessly and do what's right, and none of us will. Only one did. He speaks truth in his heart. Every man should aspire to that, but only one does it all the time. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor and, takes up a, and does not take up a reproach against his friend. Only Christ is the perfect one in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Only the Lord Jesus is the perfect man. So as we worship him, as we call out to him to be the men God's called us to be, be mindful that he knows we are but dust. He knows we need help. And he will give a helping hand because he loves you men. I want to pray for us and I want to challenge you. Guys, it's a great night to call out to the perfect man himself. Lord, help us now. Jesus, you are the perfect man. You kept your word. You protected the weak. You were a servant leader. You were brave. You were strong. You treated women well. You treated men well. Father, you, you sent your son, and he embodied your nature. Jesus, I thank you that you were the perfect man, and you show us what that biblical manhood is. Have mercy on us, Father, as we strive to be men after your heart. Lord, please pour out your spirit of conviction where we need conviction, mercy where we need mercy, encouragement where we need encouragement, rebuke where we need rebuke, so that this room is full of godly men who can have an impact on all of Metro Atlanta. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.